Amen. Thank you so much for that song. Do you have the video pulled up that I was going to show at the end of the service? Not that one. <laughs> All right, it's, it's a video about a stool. If they had the one, it's called the stool. Robbie Jesus, was, there you go. Right I have there. decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, <laughs> guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. This morning, we continue our series, or actually conclude our series, on In Search Of. We've talked about several things that we've been in search of in the last few weeks. We talked about in search of repentance. We talked about in search of restoration. And last week we talked about in search of, of an opportunity to rebuild. Many of the messages we've been talking about, at least for me, have been deeply personal. Because I saw myself in some small way in some of those things. Some of them required a, a very careful self-examination. When we need repentance, we're the ones that recognize that. When we need restoration, we know that only the Lord can truly bring that, and yet we have a part to play. We also know that when we need to be rebuilding, that we have an active part in that as well, too. This morning, we're going to look at something that's perhaps a little more difficult for us to see sometimes. And we're going to talk about in search of revival. Now, oftentimes we think about revival as a a series of meetings that we hold through the week. I can remember when I was a kid, revivals used to last at least for a week. I heard stories about where they used to last two, three, and maybe even four weeks. And I'm like, four weeks of church? How could we do that? And yet now sometimes we just look at it as a series of meetings that we hope something great happens. We just kind of pray that, that somebody will come forward. We hope maybe some good preaching or, or the Holy Spirit will bring somebody closer to God. And yet, if we were honest, 
Very few people come to hear the word preached compared to times past. If we were very honest, sometimes we don't really expect the blessing to be poured out. Oftentimes we come to church dragging our little cup behind us instead of having our cup turned up looking for God to, to fill it and do something great in our life. Very few times nowadays do we actually see or experience what we think about being a true revival. Not only where lost people come to, to Christ, but where we as Christians feel re, rejuvenated, if you will, where we feel excited about what's going on. This morning we're going to look at a story of frustration. We're going to look at a story of disappointment. And we're also going to look at a story of God's miraculous provisions. We're going to look at the story of Jonah. Now we've heard a lot about Jonah and most of you kind of know the history about Jonah. But Jonah was given a message. He was a prophet of God. And he was given a message from God to go to Nineveh, which was this great city. And he was supposed to cry against it. And that basically meant he was supposed to preach against what was going on there. He was supposed to bring them a, a message, a word from the Lord, if you will. And yet when he got that calling, he ran from it. He ran away, he actually boarded a ship. And as he got on the ship, which some people say was going the opposite direction of where he was supposed to be at, the waves and everything got terrible and they, they decided that it was Jonah's fault. And as the story goes on, they end up taking Jonah, throwing him off the boat into the sea. Things get rough, but he's swallowed by a big fish or a whale, depending on the version that you look at. Yet God saves him and gives him directions again. In a sense, he gives him an opportunity again. He gives him a chance to go out. He gives him the same directions. He doesn't say, okay, you didn't want to do that. Let me give you something else to do. He says, go to Nineveh and cry against it, which was his directions the first time. And so Jonah, I might say reluctantly and also thankfully, I'm not sure what the word might be, chooses to go and preach God's message to Nineveh. If you look with me in your scripture, it's Jonah chapter number 3. Verse number 3, I don't know if they had a chance to put that up or not. There we go. It says, so Jonah arose. This is after all the things that he's been through. And went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, notice that Jonah didn't go of his own accord. He really didn't want to go to this place. And I might add that sometimes God asks us to do things as people of God that we don't really want to do. Even though we know it's a message from God even though we know it's something He wants us to do, and even though we've made a covenant with Him to follow Him, yet sometimes He asks us to do things. We're like, God, are you sure? I don't really want to do that. None of, uh, excuse me, Jonah here goes at the word of the Lord. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, into the city a day's journey. That begins to tell you how large of a city this is. And he cried. Now, not just like, don't think about weeping tears in the sense, but think about crying against something or preaching against this place. And said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And, and the, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth and the greatest of them, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now, I want you to notice what happened here that when, Nineveh, or excuse me, when Jonah went out and preached against Nineveh and against the people there, they heard that message and they repented of that in a sense. They heard that message and they said, we've got to change our ways. They heard that message and they said, we're going to go a different direction. When they heard that, they believed God. 
These people who probably didn't have very much knowledge, if any knowledge of God, yet when they heard that opportunity to turn to God, they believed Him and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. Now, in the ancient days, to put on sackcloth was to to show a sign of repentance, if you were, a sign of sorrow, and to put ashes on your head and, and around you was to show that you were very, very sorry for those things. And it wasn't just a few people that did this. It said from the greatest of them even to the least of them, even down to the, to the very smallest of them, if you will. They believed God. They turned away. In verse number 10, if we were to, to keep going, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds fantastic. Said, Well, these people have repented. And yet our story takes a big turn right here. Now, you would think that Jonah would be very excited. God gave him a second chance. You would think Jonah would be very excited. He got to go preach the word of the Lord. You'd think Jonah would be very excited because these people listened to him. He, they actually listened and they repented at God's word. And yet, if you look with me in the verse, uh, Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1, it says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That's not at all what we would expect. And he said, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto, before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, anger and of great kindness. And repentest thee of the evil. He says, God, how in the world did you save those people? You knew what I was telling them. You knew what I was doing. Why in the world did you save those people? Now, as a pastor, I'm kind of perplexed about why Jonah would be upset. I'm kind of disturbed about why somebody would say, I can't believe those people actually listen to me. Sometimes I'll be at home and I'll share something with Alana and she actually says, you're right. I can't believe it. I get to be right sometimes. I'm surprised when somebody says, Chris, that sounded really smart. Chris, that sounds like a really good idea. Yet Jonah, when he got what he was preaching for, when he, when he called them to repentance, he was upset. He was disappointed. He was wroth. He was angry. One writer shares several possibilities to why Jonah could be angry. One was the reasons was Jonah's desire to see Nineveh destroyed. First, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, a ruthless and warlike people who were the enemies of Israel. Nineveh's destruction would have been a victory for Israel. So that was one of the first possibilities. The second one was this. Perhaps Jonah wanted to see Nineveh's downfall to satisfy his own sense of judgment. Maybe he just wanted to see, he wanted to, to say, hey, you got just what you deserved. And he believed Nineveh deserved God's judgment. Yet the answer probably lies in the last thing I'm going to mention. And he mentions it there in verse number two. It probably lies in the fact that with God showing mercy on Nineveh, it made Jonah look like a false prophet. Because he had went back home and told everybody, or when he was at home, he said, I'm going to cry against Nineveh. And everybody knew that that's what he was going to do. And so he said, in 40 days, it's gonna, this is going to happen. That's, so he was sharing this message. And if it didn't happen, he said, man, this is going to cost me. People are going to think I'm out there spreading false prophecies, if you will. In other words, he was mad because it was going to cost him personally. He was upset because it was going to make him look bad. Now, this is not a story of revival in the truest sense. 
In a large part, it's about repentance. And yet there's a valuable lesson that we can learn as we seek revival. It will cost us something to see revival in our church. It will cost us something to see revival in our community. It will cost us something to see revival in our nation. It's going to cost us something if we go forward and be faithful to what God has called us to do. Think about Jonah. I think about how foolish it is for a prophet of God not to want people to come forward. And yet the truth was I've often shared a story about when I first started preaching. I would give a, a message. And then when it got the invitation time, I hoped nobody would come. I secretly hoped nobody would come because I was afraid I would mess something up when they came. I was afraid in a sense that I would look bad when I didn't know the answer. I was afraid I would look bad when somebody asked a question and I couldn't help them. Just like Jonah should have been thrilled and excited, so should I. I should have been thrilled and excited. And yet in some ways, I kind of understand what Jonah's going through. In some ways, and this took me years to get to this place. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes it can be frustrating dealing with people's needs, can it? It can be hard when we try to reach out to people and they don't seem very thankful. We're like, well, you got just what you deserved. That's not how God works, is it? And yet sometimes we have that real feeling. Sometimes it's hard for us to take wrong, even a perceived wrong that, that we have somebody says something against us and for us to show the love of Christ back to them. We're like, well, they treated me bad. I don't want to go back and be nice. I remember when I was a kid... I used to have to apologize to my sister and I used to have to tell her I loved her. I didn't want to apologize and I sure didn't feel very loving sometimes. Even though I was made to do that. Even though I knew that was the right thing to do, I didn't want to because we had been fussing and fighting. Sometimes we find that same attitude around us today, don't we? All the fussing and fighting and troubles and trials. It's hard if you're the one that has to take the high road I wrote this in great big letters and I'm not going to scream at you. But I wrote in my notes up here, why doesn't God ask everybody to sacrifice? Ever had that attitude sometimes? I'm doing so much for the Lord and these people over here aren't doing their fair share. I'm doing, I'm serving, I'm faithful, I'm giving, I'm doing all these things and what are you doing? You see, sometimes we feel more like Jonah than we might want to admit. Sometimes when things are going well, we feel like that it's costing us too much. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want to ask the question this morning. How can we keep from being too much like Jonah? As we think about revival and think about it's going to cost us something. How can we keep from looking like Jonah and being upset when God does something good or when he asks us to sacrifice or serve? Here's the first thing. The first thing that we need to do is let God completely control us. Completely control you. The church of God used to talk a lot about sanctification and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and allowing God to use us in great and amazing ways. Yet the truth is sometimes I don't know if we shine a light very bright for Christ anymore. I don't know that the world sees that there's something different, that God is completely controlling us in everything that we do. Sometimes 
we also have to learn to put aside our fears. Why don't we witness more? We're afraid somebody might tell us no. We're afraid of what they might think of us. We're afraid of what it might cost us. Why don't we go out and share those things more? Sometimes we're full of doubts. Well, it won't work anyway. You ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? I'd go down and visit that person, but it won't do a bit of good. We have to learn that we're not called to save souls. We're called to sow seed. It's Jesus Christ that saves souls. Our job is just to go forward. It's not about us. Our job is to follow Him completely. Our mission, our mission never changes, church. 2,000 years ago, Paul went forward to go out and make disciples. Guess what we're called to do today? Go out and make disciples. We still have the same calling that we did even even as Paul did 2,000 years ago. We have to realize that it's God in control and we're just here to serve Him. And I say just to serve Him. But i got to be careful because the truth is this. It is an honor and a privilege to be used by God in whatever manner He sees fit. If God gives us a terrible job, it's still a job from God what we would consider a terrible job. If God gives us something hard, sometimes He gives the hardest things or the hardest paths to those who can walk those paths and who can remain faithful. The second thing that we have to understand, and we touched on a little bit earlier, is only God can bring true revival. Only He can can really change hearts and minds. We can do all the different things that we want to, But really all we can do is just remove stumbling blocks. All we can really do is remove hindrances. It's still God that has to change hearts. It's still God that has to call people. If you look with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 6, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this church. And he says, I have planted Apollos, who was another minister there. He said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's still true today that God is the one that still changes hearts and minds and lives. And yet our job is to compel them to come in. Our job is to go out and to to reach out, to reach down, to reach up, whatever it might be, to reach around us and compel people to come and hear the things of God, the, the wonderful things of God. Sometimes, and I've invited people like this, maybe your hands are in your pocket like, well... Would you kind of like to maybe sort of possibly come to church if you're not too busy? It's pretty good down there. It's not too bad. What kind of invitation is that? Who wants to show up to that? We ought to be excited about what God's doing and excited about what He's called us to do. We also need to be people of prayer. I realize that I can't change people's lives, but I can pray for people. There's a great harvest of souls out there that need Jesus Christ. And I can't make a single one of them come. I can't make a single one of them do anything. I have a cat at home, and I can't make him do very much. And yet, I can pray. I can pray fervently. When was the last time we wept for somebody? When was the last time we came to an altar of prayer and said, I'm praying here for my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, 
a neighbor's kid, a guy down the street, some dude I saw on TV that God just laid on my heart. You see, we can be people of prayer, and prayer still changes things. For some people, I pray, Lord, convict them of their sin and show them the error of their ways. Amen. Sometimes I pray, Lord, show them the gentle love that you have, the mercy, the grace, the peace that you offer to them. One of the most important things that we can do, and I think often we fail at, I know I do, sometimes we give up on people before God does. And by that I mean we'll look at their life and we'll think, what a mess. What a disaster. There's no hope for them. Or I've tried time and time and time again. You know what? As long as Jesus Christ is on the throne, as long as God's on the throne, there is still hope. There is still opportunity. There is still a chance. Church, they are not hopeless because Jesus Christ has a great hope if they'll just come to him. So we simply, as people of God, need to learn to walk alongside of God. When we get tired of helping, when we get frustrated with failure, when it's easy to be judgmental, we need to take a step back and go, God, you're going to have to do this. I knew a pastor one time, or heard a story of a pastor. His church wasn't going well. It was kind of a disaster from what I understood. And, and he was just greatly burdened. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to fix anything. And he said, I finally got up and I just prayed, Lord, it's your church. You're going to have to take care of it. I like that. We have to get to a place where we let God have that ultimate say-so in everything that goes on. When we truly realize that he's the one that changes things. The last thing that I want to bring up and perhaps the most important one is that we also need to remember that we're here to encourage one another on this journey. It is hard out there. There are difficulties. There are trials. It's not always fun. And yet there's work to be done. There's callings to be fulfilled. If you look with me in your Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 14, this is Paul writing to this church and he shares something very, very important with them. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Sadly, in today's world, we are hesitant to call sin what it is. But the truth is, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. There are things the Bible says are good and godly, and there are things the Bible says are perverse and evil. We don't have to like it. But our job is to share the word of God, the truth of what he has called us to do, the truth of what Christians are called to do. And he says, warn them that are unruly. And yet he also says something else. It's not just fire and brimstone. And listen to this. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. And then he says this, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Churches, we try to encourage one another. We have several callings there. One, when we're on the wrong path, I want somebody to let me know. 
because I don't want to be going the wrong way. I don't want to be going the wrong direction. And yet we ought to do that in wisdom and in love. Sometimes when we look around and we see the people that God has put in our path to encourage, sometimes it just seems like, that's too big of a job. Preacher, you don't know how wrong I've been done. You don't know what I've suffered with the people around me. I can't control what they do. And yet I can learn to be more humble. I can learn to be more patient. I can learn to pray more. I can learn to trust God more, to rely on Him more, to rest in Him more. Sometimes I just have to realize it's not all about me. And we read that verse and we think about what we're called to do as we're seeking revival for those around us. It's not about us. It's about reaching out. Here's the truth. Revival does not mean easy. Revival does not mean without great cost. Revival does not mean instant success. You know what I think is going to have to happen if we're going to see revival in our church, in our community, in our nation? We as the people of God. We as the people and the children of God are going to have to truly stand up and show the love of Christ to all those around us. They're going to have to see it shining brighter in our lives. Church, we're the ones that are called to serve. We're the ones that are called to trust the Lord. We're the ones that are called to seek Him completely, first and foremost. And people ought to see our, I think the Bible uses the word profiting. And that doesn't mean money. But they ought to see our peace. That's great profit. They ought to see our joy in our heart. That's great profit. They ought to see the comfort, the mercy that we truly, truly experience. As we get ready to get a song of invitation, I simply want to ask, has God laid anybody on your heart? Maybe you're here this morning, you said, Chris, yeah, God's laid somebody on my heart, it's me. I showed the video of the stool. And the man was supposed to be Jesus. And the girl was just somebody that was talking with Jesus. And in her mind, she's like, Jesus, I want you to have complete control. And yet, it was harder to give up than she thought it would, would be. She wanted to still do the driving in a sense. You know what? We may recognize in our own heart, Lord, I'm not giving you everything. I'm not doing what you've called me to do. I'm not following faithfully, completely. Maybe when you look in your heart, you see, I need help. You know what? Jesus Christ can help you just like he can help the people around you. Just like he can help the people in our community and the people in our lives. The question is this. What are we going to do about it? We're going to be like Jonah and be mad and stomp off? Or we're going to follow faithfully, seeking God's perfect will. As we get a verse of song this morning, if you have a need, will you come?